With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our weekend review. Newcastle, of course, beat Southampton 2-1 up at St James Park on Sunday. And I'm joined by the peers, Damien Spellman. And we're going to review that game. And we did talk about uh, a little bit of a worry of not having any, anything to actually speak about on this podcast. <laughs> but as happens usually with Newcastle, um, we've ended with quite uh, the discussion that we had. We'll start with the big news, Damien, that... The club have offered free half-season tickets to current season ticket holders, starting with the Everton game at the end of this year. Uh, your initial thoughts on that? Um, it's an interesting one. I think there'll be, as as in so many things with Newcastle, I think there'll be quite a split on this. Um, I think some people will see it as a positive. Certainly Steve Bruce will see it as a positive because he wants the stadium full because when that stadium's full and there's a, there's a great atmosphere, it, you know, it really does push the team on and we've, we've seen that this season. By the same token, I think those who have uh, promoted the boycott will see it as a, as a victory in that the club has had to move to do something about the empty seats and the boycott may not be the sole explanation for 10,000 empty seats on, on Sunday, but it's it's been a major factor. Um, and so, yes, I think you would have to say that's, that's certainly been one of the, the perhaps of the main reason behind the, uh, the empty seats and, and why the club has moved to do something about it. I mean, it is a great initiative. And Steve Bruce spoke after the game against Southampton about it being that time of year and it's been it's a bit pricey. I, th- I understand. I think that the remaining tickets on... On Sunday, about £38, I think, as someone described it on Twitter, for the worst seats in the house. So it is pricey, but playing devil's advocate, as we've just mentioned there, it's not the full reason people aren't turning up. And, and for some, um, and it will be a few thousand, the reason they're not turning up is simply Mike Ashley's still owner of this club. And it's their response, which I think will be most interesting. Yeah, well, I, I saw that the Team for Change group last night put out a statement and, and certainly made that point. Um, and and I think it's right. I mean, Steve Bruce did say on Sunday night, talked about the prices and the time of year. I think traditionally attendances for a lot of clubs in, in the home games immediately before Christmas are, are a little down sometimes. Um I think they used to say for Christmas shopping. I'm not sure that's the case, that people miss football for Christmas shopping. But football is expensive, full stop. I, I don't know how, how people afford it. I must admit we're privileged to, to be paid to go and watch matches, but it, it's an expensive hobby to have. Um, but, yeah, I think I don't think you, you can underestimate the, the impact that the boycott has had uh, some some fans have just had enough, and I, I I I can understand their frustration, but for some fans they still want to watch their their team, and I think this the old maxim that 
has been employed in the last couple of years about support the team and not the regime. I think there's an element of that. You know, some people are understandably angry with angry with what's gone on in the last few years or the last twelve years, but still want to watch the team. And um, it must be difficult for for people who are uh, trying to come to terms with that dilemma. But Rockington James's Park obviously is often described as the twelfth man, and we have seen recently at home games. There is a there's there's a lack of you know anti Ashley chance and that is probably because those who were most vocal have decided not to come. But during the game, um, we've seen that the atmosphere can be quite. Watch how how how, how, how shall we describe it? Down shall we say into the likes of Alan Maxman getting the ball and do something special. Is that down to numbers? You think you know because there are so many people missing that there is a lack of atmosphere. I don't know it's it's difficult. I mean, I think. Generally, crowds around the country, for, for me, I don't know whether it's just because I'm getting older, but don't seem to be as raucous as they were when when I was a, a teenager, for example, which is a very long time ago, I must admit. But I, I don't know, I think you have more mixed crowds now. I think you, you have more women, which is great. You have more kids, which is great. Um, and I think it's less blokes coming straight from work having had five or six pints and then going and screaming their heads off for for 90 minutes so I think there's an element of that to it but yeah I do agree I think people want to be entertained and at times over the last two or three years perhaps the entertainment entertainment levels have been lower than they might have been in some of the high points in uh, in recent times but the one thing is the Newcastle crowd can't help themselves when something happens as you say, Alanson Maximan, you know, nutmegging somebody and, and going past a couple of people or a good tackle or, a, you know, a, a close one thing or a goal, um, they can't help themselves and, and the noise is is immense. And you saw at the end of the Man City game when Newcastle got themselves back into it, it was it was absolutely buzzing. Same again at the weekend, the, the, the roof came off when Fernandes stuck the ball in the net and... You know that's what people are there for. That's that's what you know. The, the politics goes out of the window when that's that's what happens. That's what we all fell in love with football for, and and that's that's a natural response. So I say an, a really nice gesture and offer of that half season ticket, and we just hope that's the first kind of step to maybe repairing the bridges that some feel have been burnt between the club and the fans. Well, you would hope there would be a positive to come out of it, but I, I you know, I don't know. I think I've seen a couple of comments on, on social media today saying that, you know, they, these are the, the fans who've, who've stuck with the regime who have been rewarded for it. Um, um, and I suppose there's, a, there's an argument that that is true. Um, but you, you would hope it's, it's, a, it's a kind of conciliatory gesture and it, it you know there needs to be a lot more obviously there, there has been a there's a huge schism between large section sections of the support and the and the regime um and for some that'll that'll never be healed but the club the club is stronger when the the fans are behind it the team is stronger when the fans are behind it um so i'm sure that's the powers that be will will hope that's the case um whether whether it is or not, only time will tell, I suppose. Definitely remains to be seen. And we mentioned their fans who've decided not to go and one fan group who were very welcome last season, the season before that were of course war flags, some brilliant displays 
up on the, the Gallagher and we'll be speaking to them on Chronicle Live a little bit later about how they're feeling about this initiative. We spoke to them earlier in the year when they announced they wouldn't go back to St. James's Park until Mike Ashley had sold up. But you look on social media and there's a lot of um, demand for them to go back. You know, fans paid for the flags and, and speaking to the group, they are torn and it is understandable. Some of the, the guys do still go their season ticket holders. Some of them have handed their season tickets in. Um, it's I, I don't envy being in their position. No, not at all. Not at all. As, as I say, pe- people support... A cl- you don't you don't choose your club, really. Your club chooses you. Um, and when, you, when you're bitten by the bug... Um, it's and it's there, and for lots of us, for whichever club you support, it's it's there for life. Um, and it must be hard to decide not to go to watch the team you've supported all your life. Um, people have done it on principle, um, and you know, you, no, I think nobody can be criticised. And I think that the, the organisers of the boycott have been quite quite clear about this. They don't want people who are still going to be condemned for still going, and likewise people who've decided not to go don't really deserve to be criticised because they've made a decision for uh, for, for their reasons and, and both both are valid. Um, on the point of war flags, I mean, it was brilliant last season. You know, you know, I'm, I'm a neutral. Um, but to see those flags in the end and the way that the fans, you know, respond to it and the atmosphere it creates, um, I, th- I think was very positive for, for the club and, and ultimately for the team. Most certainly, and we, we like to say we were speaking to them, so you can head over to the website to see what they have to say. We'll jump straight into then the result, the performance against Southampton. If we're honest, I think we spoke at half time and said this has to improve, <laughs> or it's going to be the shortest podcast ever. Yeah, thankfully, it did. For an hour, it was pretty awful. Um, in fairness, Southampton, without hitting the heights, were, were the better team, and. You know, although the the first chance that they had was was came from a Newcastle mistake, um, it took a couple of very good saves from Martin Dubravka, who, for me, is back to his best in the last few weeks. I think he's had a, a couple of lulls after his first half season when he was brilliant. You know, some difficult moments last season, but in the last few weeks, I think he's been outstanding and kept Newcastle in games, and he certainly did that on Sunday. Um, but it really it took it took the goal. And then Andy Carroll's introduction to get to get Newcastle going, but they got going, um, and it might not have been very pretty, but it was damned effective and uh, got them over the line in the end. And you, you cannot argue with their their passion and commitment and the and the bloody minded refusal to to give up. Where does that come from? Because again, playing devil's advocate, if that was maybe a Rafa Benitez side, I would argue they probably wouldn't have won that game. And I would argue the same for the Man City game. Whereas, yes, Bruce is using the same kind of strategy, the same kind of tactics, but I do feel they're a little bit more attacking, they're a little bit more confident in their ability to get a goal when their backs are against the wall. Is that something you you share? I mean, what's your opinion on that? Um, To an extent, I do. Although, of course, you know, against Man City last season, they were 1-0 down after 25, 26 seconds and came back to win it. Um, So I think it's... There's, there's something there. I think there's a brilliant togetherness in the squad, which has survived both Rafa's departure and the introduction of new players. Um, but I think it's, 
you can't beat that team spirit. It won't always get you over the line. It won't always get you a result. But if people are flinging their bodies in the way of balls, as as Andy Carroll and Sean Longstaff did in the dying moments on Sunday, that inspires the people around you. It inspires the crowd. Um, and that's a great quality to have. I mean, there's there's no doubt that this current squad is is short in areas. It's it's perhaps short of the quality the team has had in previous eras. Um, but I think the fight is up there with, with anything they've had in, in my time of covering the club. And then obviously we've got a great home record at the moment. Um, but Steve Bruce has been very grounded, you know, saying we've got a long way to go. Um, but I think, you know, behind closed doors, he'll be very happy that he is. I don't want to say the word fortress, but Newcastle and St James Park is not that far away from arguably being called that. Well, yeah, I mean... It, it stands to reason that most of your points, I suppose Sheffield United are booking the trend this season, but most of your points are going to come at home. If if you're going to stay up, that's where you're going to have to do most of the work. Now, Newcastle have obviously had away wins this season, which is a, which is a huge bonus. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you can get back to the stage where you go out most games at home expecting to come away with something from it, uh, not just hoping, but expecting. That's a very positive situation to be in. And and you're right. You know, Steve knows knows there's work to be done. It's it's far from perfect, but it's been encouraging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I asked him on on Saturday, would he have taken 22 points in the first 16 games? And you were there. <laughs> what do you think? Um, so yeah, he'd be absolutely delighted with that. Um, but yeah, you've got to have that foundation in, at home, definitely. And I guess with the form that they've been in, you know, unbeaten since that game against Arsenal in the open day of the season, it's a nice platform to say to those fans, those season ticket holders, here's a half-season ticket, look what you'll be getting. You know, you'll be getting, well, fingers crossed, up to that Everton game, you know, they can beat Crystal Palace, um, but you'll be getting a team that is, you know, teams are fearing coming to St James's Park, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, well, you certainly wouldn't want teams coming and looking forward to, to, to coming to St James's Park. And I think at times in in recent years, that's perhaps been the case. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. The, you know, there are still some tough games to come at home, in fairness. Um, Crystal Palace itself will be a, be a very tough game. Yeah, never well, you never know Crystal Palace, do you? They, they can be absolutely awful or, or spellbinding. You, you, you just never know. Um, Everton back in a, a bit of form at the weekend under under Big Duncan I mean that that won't be easy if they've still got the tails up in a couple of weeks time um, um, so so yeah but no I mean there, what, there are ten, 10 home games left aren't there um, to Liverpool to come Tottenham to come you know they're back in a, a bit of form as well so you know there's some big games there there's some big games and, and, you, and you know that there will be a point where Newcastle have a dodgy run um, because the perhaps you know if St Maximin's out for a while, which it looks like he may be, he's going to be a big miss because he's he's the one spark there. He injects pace, and all right, Christian Atsu's got elements of that, but perhaps not to the, not not had the impact that St Maximin has had in in recent weeks. So there will be tough times, and they might have to grind out more results. But hey, three points is three points. What did you make of Steve Bruce's comments just on St Maximin? You know how he felt he probably wasn't 100% going into this game um, 
but he felt yeah, a player mixed with the danger that he represents to the opposition. What did you make of those comments regarding the decision to play him? Well, it, it's difficult. It, it is difficult. If, if he's the player you think can make a difference and he's telling you he's OK, I think most managers would want to play him, especially if you don't have a ready-made replacement or don't have capacity within the squad to, to cover for that. Now, I thought Newcastle as a team looked tired, looked leggy on Sunday, understandably, after two monumental efforts against Man City and Sheffield United. Um, and I think Steve also did say that St Maximin looks like that all the time. If you remember, remember years back, you perhaps too young, but Chris Waddle always looked shattered, um, but then he'd explode and off he went again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, medics will tell you that when you're tired, that's when muscle injuries come and it's, it's a fine line. It's a tough decision to make and it looks like, unfortunately, that's that's gone against Newcastle this weekend. Now you mentioned Christian Atsu there. There's going to be a big debate about who comes in to replace Alan St Maxim. Um, I don't know about you, I wouldn't mind see jo- seeing Joe Linton pushed out maybe to the wide position and then if Annie Carroll's fit enough to bring Carroll into the centre and just give Joe Linton something else to think about. He doesn't have to think about getting the goals. Yes, he's the number nine and that's what he should be doing. But look, he's in a tough position. Push him out to the left. Give him something else to think about, you know, you know, creating a goal or just being a, you know, a nuisance and maybe just distract them from what has been so far a very tough season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's where he played for Hoffenheim, wasn't it? Um, and Steve Bruce has mentioned that on several occasions. I think that all depends on how fit Andy Carroll is. Now, clearly, I don't think anybody expected him to start on Sunday after playing what the 60 70 minutes on he, he seemed to though well yeah after match of the day didn't he which is good which is good you would hope that he would want to play but given his lack of football in the last 18 months i think that that would have been a gamble uh perhaps a bigger gamble than than starting some maximum um but but yeah um joe linton i mean it's he's, he's clearly not a back to goal center forward um, he's he's struggled to come to terms with the with the the role of being that that focal point, um, and I think there is a confidence issue there now, which is understandable. You've got to remember the kid's only twenty three. He's playing in a different country. He's a long way from home. Um, you don't know what's going on off the pitch that you know might be affecting that. Um, but he needs a lift, and if that might be one way of solving two problems at the same time. Um, I mean, I suppose you've got Dwight Gill in reserve if something to ha- was something was to happen to either of them, or if you wanted to change it, and that would be a different approach altogether. Um, I wondered if, and I think this is unlikely because of the way things have gone, whether they might Steve Bruce might consider a, a change of shape, um, you know, to uh, to get Almer on more more central behind Joe Linton or. Or Andy Carroll, um, but I think the form is more likely. I think he's likely to stick with the shape and try to to fit his players into it. Yeah. You mentioned Almiro on there again. Didn't get a goal. He, he had a probably half a chance when uh, St Maximum pulled the ball back to him. But you know he was the man that was fouled for the Shelby free kick that ended back on Shelby's head, and he gets criticism for not providing enough goals. But again, we're going to make the point that he might not get the assist. In, you know, in the true definition of the word, but 
he plays a part in these goals. And without him going down and getting kicked in the head, I like the way he got back up straight away. Yeah. Um, you know, Newcastle arguably wouldn't have wouldn't have had that leveler. Do you know what I like a lot of what he does? I mean, he's a hundred miles an hour. He's all over the pitch. How many times did you see him back in the right fullback position, either behind Mankey or alongside him, to to help snuff out a, a Southampton attack? Um, he runs all day. He's so willing. He wants the ball. Um, it's not happening for him in the final third. But I think, I think it's perhaps a little bit of the opposite to Joe Linton. I think when he gets into those positions, he needs to slow himself down and be a little more composed. Whereas I think Joe Linton needs to be a bit more instinctive. You know, I think it's sometimes when he's got too much time. That's when the doubt creeps in. The goal at Tottenham, when it's smashed into him, he takes a touch and then, you know, bangs it into the back of the net. He didn't have time to think about it. And I, f- I think, you know, the, the two of them have, have got a similar problem, but they need to address it in different ways. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota Mazda and Suzuki Dealership Group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. When we saw on Sunday there was a moment Julian uh, was played through via quick throwing, and you're just thinking a man with confidence takes a couple of yeah. touches, hits it um, on goal, or maybe squares it back, and he, he just allowed the defender, uh, I think it was Cedric, back in to get to get a foot in. And it was just, it was frustrating. It was it was annoying to see. Um, but I suppose one good thing is, and we mentioned this after the, the game on, on Sunday, was when Joe Linton's number came up, there weren't any boos, there weren't yeah. any jeers. Yeah. The fans applauded him. They're still backing him. They're keeping their frustrations from the surface, which is which is great to see because, you know, at the end of the day, just like all the journalists in the, in the press room, we want to see Joe Linton, you know, bag a goal and, and, and continue good form. You feel for him. You, you feel for him. He, he obviously wanted to come over and show show people what he's got and that he was that he was worth the money because you know, it's a long time since Newcastle broke the, the transfer record and they smashed it with him. Um, but he's he's try. You know, I mean, the very least you can expect is that he tries. But he is trying and he does work hard. I think a lot of his football, he's, he's, he's coming looking for the ball because he's, he becomes isolated when Newcastle are under pressure, doesn't see a lot of the ball, so he wants to be involved, but then that means he's not where he needs to be to be getting on the end of, of crosses and, and balls in behind. Again, I like a lot of what he does. He comes and he shows up for it, he holds it up, he lays it off, um, but I think possibly he needs to be a bit more selfish. And, it, and and I suppose it'll do him no harm to have a look at what Andy Carroll does. He's not the same type of centre-forward as Andy Carroll. He's not going to be that wrecking ball. But the kind of positions Carroll takes up that that you know might get him nearer to goal, nearer where he wants to be. Now, he's going to run the channels more often than Andy Carroll would be. But I think just the areas of the pitch he needs to be in, perhaps he'll get a look at, from the sidelines at, at, at how he can improve his game. And finally, just on Sunday, uh, regarding John Joe Shelby, you know, obviously gets the equaliser and just, you know, again, another good game. He seems to be a bit more composed. I think he's he's thinking about what he wants to do more. Instead of maybe hitting that first hand long ball or going for that super pass, he's just, I think, just thinking about it a bit more. And there was a great moment very late on um, when Mancure fouls 
and I think it was one of the last uh, instances of the game and, and Shelby just goes over to him and just tells him just to think about what he's doing and that's that leadership as well that you know Jamal Lascelles brings to, to the mm-hmm. side that vocal point and it's great to see you know Shelby Knapp just he, he slipped into it really well I think the responsibilities really helped him in his own game. I mean, there's no doubt that John Joe Shelfie has talent. He wouldn't have been at Liverpool in the first place if he if he hadn't. And we all know he, lo- he loves to ping that 60-yard ball, and when it works, it's superb. But I think playing in that, that quarterback role, which he's been earmarked out for in his time at Newcastle, Rafa couldn't get it into his team. Steve Bruce tried it, and it didn't really work. But I think he stepped up. And you're right, he's picking, He's still playing the long ball when he has the chance, but he's picking his moment better. But what's impressed me is, you know, that the, I always thought that the perception that he didn't put the miles in was harsh, but I think he's, he's using his running more effectively now. And the, the run for the goal at Sheffield United, you know, joining the attack uh, and timing his run, I thought was, was excellent. You know, he's... he's um, instinct to get into the box when the free kick had gone wide on Sunday for, to get on the end of Andy Carroll's cross and what a cross it was by the way uh, and the finish was great and I think he's just he's made himself more effective in the system that Steve Bruce wants to play and I, I think that's all credit to him It's been superb to see um, We're going to move on to Rafa Benitez I know some of our listeners don't like to hear that name just because obviously Rafa's gone well aware of that but he was on Monday Night Football last night on Sky Sports and you know he did speak about Newcastle night so it'll be interesting, interesting just to get your view on some of the things he uh, he said did you did you see it at all? I didn't actually but I've read I've read uh, parts wrote, of what well, he said yeah. we've got we've got a transcript here as well I mean from what you read did anything did anything stand out I mean obviously he he, uh, he said uh, he was full of praise for Steve Bruce and he was happy to see Newcastle you know doing well which is was what you'd expect him to say well you know Rafa's a very intelligent man and he's a very shrewd politician and he rarely says anything um, without knowing exactly what he's saying um, and I think he's, uh, he's a good diplomat <clears throat> um, and I'm, I'm sh- hey listen he loved his time at the club I'm, I'm pretty sure or he loved his time working with the team perhaps not with the um, with the politics but he loved his time working with the team loved being in the city and let's face it, he did a great job. Um, but I think we were all a bit played by Rafa. Um, I think he knew long before it emerged that he wasn't going to be staying. And uh, <laughs> I think he kept us all on tenterhooks and we all thought he was going to stay. Um, but well, it's football, you know, he's, he's gone. Uh, he's, he's in a new phase of his career. Um, did a great job here. As I say, it would have been good if he'd had the chance to implement his plan, um, but he hasn't, and Steve Bruce has come in. And do you know what? He's done a pretty decent job so far. I think you'd, you'd have to say after a, a very shaky start. You mentioned there the political side of Benitez, and sometimes he would go on forever, sometimes it would be short and snappy. We, in our live blog yesterday, asked fans, why do you think Steve Bruce is doing so well? Why are Newcastle doing so well? Um, and one of the answers was the lack of drama, that you know, it came with Benitez because this would be about the time now where you'd be talking about the window and dropping mm-hmm. hints, and you know, we it would get affect into January and it would already be playing into December, and it, the same with the, the summer window. Is what's your view on that? Is 
the lack of drama, well, is it a benefit to Newcastle? Um, well, I think... Or was, it, that, was that harsh on Rafa? Well, as I said, Rafa was, was a great politician and long before he came to Newcastle, that was his MO. You know, he, he would always get his points out early and, you know, stake his claim for, for what he wanted and, um, you know, whether it, whether it was transfer windows or you know his uh, his dealings with uh, with other clubs he was uh, he was always very good at getting his message out um but yeah i think there's the fact that steve bruce has come in walked into a a bit of a storm um and has very quietly calmed the waters you know he he had a difficult start if you if you remember the first few games it wasn't great it wasn't working he had to abandon the way he wanted to play but he had, I think you've got to give him credit for realising that it wasn't working and doing something about it rather than just ploughing on regardless. Um, I think he would like to play in a different way, but he, he knows at the moment with the, the squad he's got, or he feels at the moment with the squad he's got, that this is the best way to go about it. And it's paying dividends for him at the moment. Now, whether it will continue to do so remains to be seen. You know, teams are very quick other teams are very quick at working out how the opposition plays and trying to come up with plans to combat that. And if it if that starts to happen in Newcastle, he'll have to come up with a different plan and then it's a case of whether he can or not. But you'd you'd have to say, given the situation he walked into, um, he has he has managed to calm things down quite well. Most most certainly has. Um now we were talking off air about how long you've been covering Newcastle. <laughs> Uh, 20, 23 years? 23 seasons, I think, yeah. Um, 15 permanent managers. Yeah. I just want to ask, you mentioned there Steve Bruce's start, obviously the thrashing uh, against Norwich, the performance more than the actual result against Leicester. Um, and that star that you've mentioned, were you a little bit worried that actually it just wasn't going to work out for Bruce and, and there might be a change of manager sooner rather than later? Um well, the, whatever you say about Mike Ashley, and people say a lot about him, and a lot of it's justified, he doesn't really like to get rid of manager. I think Steve McLaren is probably, well, John Carver as well, I suppose, but he gave Alan Pardew a long time, you know, not not necessarily to the to the uh, uh, contentment of the fans. Um and of course, it was Kevin Keegan left of his own volition. Um, but I didn't think he would make a, a swift change. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of people weren't impressed with the appointment. Um, and to some extent, that was largely because he wasn't Rafa Benitez, I know. Um, but I think Steve's record, recent record, hadn't been as good as perhaps at earlier points in his career. Um, but he was always confident that, you know, I think he said on he said after the game on Sunday, didn't he? I'm, I don't know whether I'm an excellent manager in, in response to Gary Lineker's tweet, but I'm a competent mm. one. And you'd have to say you don't manage 900 games, many of them in the Premier League, if you're not a competent manager. Most certainly. And out of those 15 managers you've seen in Newcastle, I mean, that start and the way they were performing, where does that rank in terms of like you're thinking, oh, oh, this is this is not looking good in terms of starts for new managers? 
Ooh, that's, well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, just thinking back, I mean, Sam Allardyce had a, a pretty decent start. I think he, he claimed it to be the best start in about 15 years, which was never quite right. But uh, they had a, a decent start in terms of results. Um, you know, Kevin Keegan did did well when he came in, didn't he? The second time. Um, John John Carver had a difficult time, difficult time, didn't he? The, the, there were just no goals in the team. And that was that was a real struggle, a, a grind, a grind. Um, but I think, no, as I say, you know, Steve Bruce had the courage to to realise that what he was trying to do wasn't working and changed it. And you have to applaud him for that because the you know he's gone back to, I suppose you would say at Tottenham he went back to roughly the way Rafa played, and it worked. And he's he's sort of tinkered with that since, and it's. It has paid dividends. And it's nice to see Steve Bruce enjoying it as well. You know, he's not getting ahead of himself. He's very grounded in what he's, what he's been saying. Um, unlike maybe Shelby, who maybe called for Europa League qualification, maybe a tad <laughs> too early. But it is nice to see Bruce um, enjoying it. And, and no matter what you think about Steve, you know, he is a Newcastle United fan at heart. Yes, he may have managed Sunderland. Yes, you know, he's not maybe everyone's cup of tea, as he likes to say. But at the end of the day, you know, this is his boyhood club and it is nice to see him doing well because that's what we all want to see. We want to see Newcastle doing well, but also him enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, it would. I'm sure it would have been lovely for him to come in with thousands of people cheering him and, and what have you. And that, that wasn't the case through no fault of his own. Um, but yeah, there's something, something you know. Sir John Hall used to talk about having a team of Geordies, and that was never close to happening. But you know, to have a Geordie at the helm and Andy Carroll and Paul Dummett in the dressing room and the Longstaff lads, Steve Harper back, Steve Harper back on the on the staff. Yeah, there's there's a nice. You you need a core element if if at all possible, and, and I think that's you know you look just around the region. There's there's very few. At, at Sunderland, you know, um, at the likes of Jordan Henderson, Jordan Pickford coming through, which was great for them. Middlesbrough, you know, over the years have, have done it very, very well, getting kids through from the academy. But, you know, it's it's nice to have, have local lads in there. You know, it, it must be a joy to, to play for your, your local team, particularly when they're doing well. It must be quite hard when they're not and you're getting a bit of stick. But, yeah, I mean, it... it as a Geordie, I would imagine, as a Geordie football manager, the two jobs you must covet are Newcastle and, and England, and he's, he's, he's got his dream job in many respects. Most certainly has. Now, we mentioned there 23 seasons. That means you've seen a lot of takeover rumours, um, <laughs> a lot of claims and what have you. I mean, first of all, just give our listeners kind of insight into how you cover it because you're a little bit different to the Cron. I mean when I mean is it a case well, well how do you cover takeover rumours and, and how have you <laughs> managed to survive the last uh was it 11, 11 years and Mike Ashley and all, all the claims that have been made? Well I think the default response has to be scepticism because there have been so many groups allegedly ready to take the club over and and none has even been close to doing it as as far as I'm aware. Um, I think what you do is you try, as as you do here, you you, you check out both sides. Um, and often 
the truth is in between the lines. Um, certainly, you know, the Amanda Staveley one was was genuine, but I don't think it was ever close to coming off. Peter Kenyon, similarly. I think the problem is that, that most of these groups who've been advanced the furthest have effectively come in, done the due diligence, got a price or got a ballpark figure and then gone off to try to raise the money. So basically nobody has ever come in and said, there's £300 million, we'll, we'll buy it tomorrow. Uh, I think had they, it might have been sold by now, but I think the, the honest truth is that that's never happened. In your view, though, I mean, Mike Ashley is still a willing seller. And I guess if we head into the January window and Newcastle are, you know, 11th, 12th, seven, eight points ahead of the relegation zone, um, that window to buy a club when relegation isn't looking as likely as it has done the past few seasons, when those rumours have sprung up again, you know, we, we could head in 2020 with Newcastle in a very healthy position and it's, it's a much more attractive proposition for a buyer. It is. I think it's a double-edged sword, though. I, th- I think you're right. If if Newcastle uh, top ten in January, they are an attractive proposition. But if the bottom six, they're a cheaper proposition. Um, but yeah, I think in the past, um, certainly the PCP proposed takeover. I think. There was a fear of relegation there, and my understanding is that they wanted a clause written into the contract that if they, they were relegated, they got them half the money back, or certainly a large proportion of the money back, which was never going to happen. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, I, I think, well, we're biased because we're up here, we see the club, we know the size of it, we know the support, we know the potential. It's an attractive proposition. But to be brutally honest... It's cheaper to buy a club and turn it around elsewhere in the world than it is in the Premier League, and I think that is the that is the overriding factor at the moment. Well, that leads me nicely on to my next question. And here on Everything's Black and White podcast, we are going to hold a special episode next week with our Southern writer Craig Johns and football editor Mark Douglas on this subject. And it is why does it appear that Sunderland have actually been a lot closer to be taken over than Newcastle, and what makes them more attractive proposition? And I assume it's kind of a little bit like what you've just said there. Cheaper, less money needs to go in to potentially get them back to the Premier League. I think that's absolutely right. You know, if you can... I don't know, Sunderland, I think when when they've been talks about a takeover, I think they've been talking about 50 million, 50 to 80 million at various times. I think Hull, the Hull owners talking about putting a 50 million pound price on in the club. So if you can buy a club for 50 million... I think a lot of the debt has been written off, hasn't it? Um, you can then inject perhaps a similar amount, if you know financial fair play um, permitting. You, you can improve it substantially more cheaply. Um, whereas you know to to buy a club for three hundred million and take it from fifteenth to tenth is very expensive. To take it from 15th to top six is prohibitively expensive. So I think, yeah, I, in my opinion, it is A, financial, and B, the fact that it gets incrementally more difficult to improve the higher up the ladder you are. 
And finally, just on tape of us, when it does happen and we don't have to write about rumours anymore, how will you celebrate? <laughs> oh, well, I'd, I'd be having a very large pint somewhere. <laughs> um, well, just finally then, Damien, I just want you to kind of sum up the season so far. Um, obviously, we mentioned Steve Bruce came in to quite the storm. He seems to have settled it. Um, just sum up what you've seen so far and what you think is to come. Um, well, I think most people... I think most fans would have settled for where they are now, like like Steve Bruce. I think they've uh, they've done well, and I think there's significant room for improvement uh, within the squad. But also, if if he was able to add to it in January, I think that would that would give him a, a stronger hand. Um, I think the the pluses are, you know, Debravka back on top form. The six central defenders have all come in and done very, very well at times. That's that's the major strength they've got in there. I think Shelby's, you know, return to top form has been very positive. Isaac Hayden, I think, has been excellent in recent weeks. We talked at the weekend about Javi Mankio, who's coming out of the cold and not looked out of place at all. And I think the front three, there's potential there, and it people have having are having to be very patient to see that potential um, hopefully Andy Carroll's involvement on the pitch will help to bring the three of them on I think what you would have to say is that a new team or a, a team that's playing relying so much on commitment and passion and fight inevitably there will be bad times there might be a run where you could lose two or three games three or four games and that, that becomes difficult, then it's about re-establishing that confidence. I think also the Premier League is as tight as I've seen it for a long time. I mean, Newcastle in 11th, two points off fifth. Um, and I know they're, they're, what, seven seven points off relegation. Mm. But nobody, Watford perhaps is starting to be, and perhaps Norwich is starting to be cast a little adrift, but nobody's really off there yet. So with... You know, 22 games left to play. There's a very, very long way to go, um, and there is the potential to be sucked in if you uh, if you let your standards drop. And I've I've always had this thing about, particularly with promoted teams, but certainly teams who are usually usually in the bottom half of the table. You can't play 38 cup finals a year. You, you can try, and I think you know Sheffield United have had a brilliant, brilliant start to the season, but they, it might catch up with them a little bit. They start to get injuries and suspensions and then a little, maybe a crisis of confidence. Perhaps not the way Chris Wilder is. He's done a brilliant job with them. But I think, you know, at some point it gets difficult and that's when you find out about the real character and, and quality in your dressing room. And hopefully Newcastle have got enough of that. But uh, again, only time will tell. Fingers crossed. Certainly going to be an interesting uh, second half of the season well Damien thank you very much for popping in your debut on the Everything is Black My yes, podcast yes I enjoyed it thank you very much um, and I say we will be back later this week but in the meantime I hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like and subscribe thank you very much for listening thank you.